Welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism, looking at a particular horror trope in depth and exploring how it's been presented throughout horror film history. Currently, we're looking into vampires. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. Alongside our regular series, occasionally on the podcast we'll cover new releases that we really want to talk about, and sometimes I also get the chance to talk to the filmmakers behind those. In today's bonus episode, I got to chat to the writer-director of Possessor, Brandon Cronenberg. For anyone who hasn't seen Possessor yet, first of all, what are you waiting for? It is out on VOD in the UK now. In this interview, we do not spoil any details from the film. We discuss it genuinely and touch up on the making of it, uh, but we don't reveal any plot details for those of you who are spoiler averse. Once you've seen the film though, and if you want to dig deeper into the meaning behind it, we have also published a very long in-depth discussion episode going into the details of Possessor. And with that said, please enjoy my conversation with Brandon Cronenberg. First of all, congratulations. Absolutely loved and was disturbed in the best possible way by Possessor. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so I always like to start interviews by asking kind of what came first in your process in developing the film. Was it an image? Was it a character, a particular scene? Uh, in the case of Possessor, it came from a very sort of trivial personal place. Uh, I was on the press tour for Antiviral, my first feature. Uh, and when you're traveling with a film for the first time, it's very surreal because you're in real time, either consciously or unconsciously constructing this public persona. You go around doing press and you're performing this version of yourself and creating a kind of alternate media self, this, this weird double that then goes off and has its own life without you online. So uh, for that reason, and because of a few other things going on in my life, I, I was feeling like I, I kind of uh, couldn't see my own character in the life I was living. I felt like I was sitting up in the morning and sitting up into someone else's life and, and having to kind of scramble to construct some sort of character who could operate in that context. Uh, so initially, I was interested in, in writing a film that uh, was about a character who may or may not be an imposter in their own life and use that as a way to discuss how we build characters and, and create narratives as a way to operate as people. Uh, the other sci-fi horror elements kind of developed out of that later, but actually the, the seed of the film is in those mm. uh, more dramatic scenes of waking up the relationship and family scenes are, are where it started. That's wonderful, thank you. And um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, I'll come back to the, the themes of identity and um, empathy which spoke really strongly to me about the film but I want to talk a little bit first about the world building and kind of the design of it without giving too much away or um giving too much or spending too much time kind of on on 
on information, really, but really giving us a sense of the world through the environment, the machinery, the advertising, the data mining, the corporation aspect. So kind of how could you talk a little bit about how you envisioned and worked on designing this alternate world? I really wanted to make a film set in an alternate present or it's set not that this is relevant, but it's set in an alternate version of 2008. That was just sort of (laughs) how I set it up so that I could compartmentalize. Um, Part of that was because although I did a fair bit of research into the neuroscience behind the technology, and although I think that technology could more or less exist, Mm -hmm. uh, for it to really exist, it would have to be in the very distant future. And I wasn't I wasn't interested in making a a kind of predictive science fiction film. I wanted to use that as a metaphor to talk about uh, who we are and and how we function. And uh, therefore, I wanted the world to feel more familiar uh, and more like our our present day world. Uh, So setting it in this alternate timeline, on the one hand, freed me up uh, to to use it that way. And and on the other hand, uh, kind of demanded that we find some interesting ways to kind of skew the world just through through the design and, and mm-hmm. through um, our locations, which are all Toronto locations. It, it was all shot in Toronto, but we spent a lot of time exploring the city and finding those particular buildings and, and particular angles mm-hmm. that would feel a bit alternate universe and have that quality. Um, you mentioned it just now, but uh, I, I was actually wanting to ask you about the choice of setting it in 2008. Was it even an alternative universe of 2008? Why that particular year? Uh, it was slightly in the past. Um, <laughs> <laughs> slightly. <laughs> it was slightly in the past. It, it, it just, I, I guess, having it deliberately in the past meant that it was obviously a different timeline, mm. but it, it was near enough that it would seem. Uh, close to it it wasn't it didn't have any (laughs) really intelligent significance beyond that oh i'm sure i'm looking forward to all the video essays unpacking that decision (laughs) when the film is released (laughs) oh you can't you can't release this podcast until then it's important that nobody knows that i'm just making stupid random Um, and I wanted to go into the characters a little bit, and particularly the way that you work with uh, with your actors, with Andrea and with Christopher, as both of their characters really strike me as quite internal, very kind of internal focused, um, not giving that much away even to the people who are supposedly closest to them. Um, so could you talk a little bit about your process working with them through, well, through the through the period um, leading up to to the actual making of the film to the shoot? I mean, the process was very organic and very easy because they're both fantastic actors, obviously, but also really wonderful collaborators. And so mm. they really made me look good and really <laughs> made my life easy. Um, initially, there was some discussion to be had about how we would deal with the fact that they were both playing the same character to a certain degree or, or that overlap. And I, I remember talking to them early on about whether there was some sort of for rigid formal process they wanted to engage in you know mm. uh did one of them want to sort of take the lead and the other one mimic them or did they want to be on set for each other's scenes or, or how did they want to work that there, there was kind of a rabbit hole we could go down mm. uh, in terms of figuring out process um how it actually worked was i had my initial ideas for how those versions of the character could overlap they came to me with their own ideas which were you know great incredibly smart about their characters. Um, there was 
I understand that they spoke behind the scenes with each other as well, just directly checking in about you know how Voss would behave in certain situations to make sure that they were on the same page. And then in, in a scene by scene way, I would work with them individually and we would just sort of uh, talk it through and build it out. Uh, so it, it all really, it, it all really was built collaboratively and, mm. and organically in the end, despite the fact that it, uh, I was expecting it to require some sort of fancy uh, rule set or something. I mean, it's always really nice to hear that the really mythical process of making a film is actually not that fancy sounding sometimes when it just works <laughs> out. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, uh, well, it, it very rarely just works out. It's, it, it, it's, it's, you know, a perilous uh, pastime, but, you know, so much, so much of it, I think is done in the moment, or at least for me, mm. I, I know that's not true of, of all directors, some, some directors. Um, on, on that note of, of directing them both essentially playing a melded version of, of each other, on a practical level, kind of how did you achieve that visually, that visual meld of them kind of blending into one another, but it being two different, very clearly two different performers of two different genders? So some of it was done through performance. For instance, you can, you can see, you know, in, in certain scenes, Chris will uh, be playing Colin and then he shifts into boss. And so he takes mm -hmm. on the sort of feminine version of, of the character. Um, you know, Andrea, when she's in the machine is speaking in, in something that's more of an American accent and, and more, more with more of a, a masculine voice mm -hmm. um, when she's performing Colin. Um, sometimes, we would of course swap the actors, you know, we would shoot scenes with both of them and, and there was mm -hmm. a bit of a, uh, a sculpting process in the edit, you know, f f because some scenes, it's, you, need, you need it to be more ambiguous in some scenes uh, because there's a, a kind of struggle, but then in other scenes, you need it to be very clear that uh, mm -hmm. one of them is in control. And so some of that was found in the edit as we were, uh, tweaking the story and working on that structure. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the, the sort of hallucinatory elements. Yeah, that which I will definitely, um, I, I can't let you go before asking about that. But um, before I did, I wanted to kind of ask about the design of Tassia's character, which I found really just visually striking. And for someone whose job in the film it is to possess the minds and mimic herself into someone else, into, you know, a myriad of different people um how did you approach designing what she in herself and her own body looks like i mean that it was really a collaboration with mm -hmm. andrea i know she initially really wanted to uh change her hair color in some kind of striking way because she's an actor who really likes to completely uh change visually for each role and she's amazing at inhabiting these other characters and is such a a chameleon as everyone says about her but she really is she's really uh so different in film uh from film to film so uh, we had a discussion about that and decided on the sort of like not quite albino but like a little bit ultra blonde pale Mm -hmm. uh, quality, which also then contrasts Chris Moore, who has these much more dark fe uh, features. Um, she was interested during uh, the, the initial wardrobe tri uh, trials mm -hmm. to, uh, she came up with this idea where because she puts on clothes that match the characters uh, she's about to possess because she likes to inhabit them in her own life when she's, uh, when she's watching them and, and sort of mimicking them and learning 
about their lives. Uh, she liked the idea that she would have these old clothes that were from previous possessions. So she had uh, men's clothing from some other man that she had possessed in the past. And so mm -hmm. I thought that was a brilliant idea. And uh, yeah. we, we incorporated it. I wanted to move on into the, the hallucinatory kind of mind melding technology in Possessor. And I wanted to ask kind of what was your collaborative process like working with uh, with Dan Martin on designing those sequences and the actual look of what it would look like for two minds to blend together? Right. So uh, the, the hallucination sequences were a kind of long process of experimentation in some ways and then in other ways there were particular images that, that I was interested in. Um, for instance, the melting wax, I really wanted to do bodies melting and, and reforming and so uh, that was something very specific. But otherwise they were really uh, long experimental processes with, uh, with Dan Martin on, on the effects end and then Kareem Hussein, my cinematographer, who I worked very closely with. Um, we actually lived down the street from each other for a lot of possessor oh, wow. development and so I would go over to his place for years because the film sort of kept on <laughs> kept on taking a while to get off the ground and kept getting pushed just for the usual mm. indie film development reasons um, and we would just experiment with projection feedback and gels and and mm. uh, all, all of these ways that we could deform images and uh, we'd have these happy accidents that would lead us off down another path and eventually we had our kind of bank of ideas uh that, that we built up over over the years um and when dan came on so dan and kareem are both kind of mad geniuses in their fields and, and so dan had his own ideas that he'd been wanting to try that he would bring to it and he had all, all this this great stuff um you know the, the it, it's a it's a brief shot but uh there's a, a vacuform mold of Chris's face with Andrea mm -hmm. being projected into it because it's been mm -hmm. treated to be a rear projection screen. And then the skin mask that's being pulled off, that was something Dan had always wanted to try it. It seemed to, to, <laughs> to fit really well with the film. So um, yeah, it was just a great collaborative process mm -hmm. with those two building these things up. And then uh, after the fact, Matt Hannum, my editor was uh, very involved with me in the, cutting and the, and the rhythms and, and what that visual language would be like once we amassed this sort of mm. trippy material. No, they're incredibly effective. I think after uh, I watched Possessor for the first time, my just WhatsApp groups were exploding with people and myself just asking each other, how did they do that? How, what was that? <laughs> what is that image? Is that wax? What is that? How did that thing happen? So there's a lot of images that frankly I'd never seen before in a film. And I wanted to kind of pick you up on something you mentioned of this kind of image of bodies melting and reforming. And what about kind of this idea of a body transforming or maybe not even belonging to the person inhabiting it was interesting to you? Uh, I think like so much with, with science fiction, part of what you're doing uh, when you're writing it is finding a way to talk about the real world through another lens. So you're, you're taking something that we're all dealing with, uh, whether it's political or, or a, a more kind of basic human thing, and you're finding a way to turn it on its head so that we're examining it with fresh eyes and, and we, we can kind of look at it uh, from another perspective. So um, with body possession, I think you start to 
discuss what it is to have a body and what it is to be in your body, how you relate to your own physicality. Um, mm. That's something that we all are dealing with in a day-to-day -day way. But when narratively the story is that someone jumps into someone else's body, then suddenly they're having this fresh experience. They're having to deal with the nuance of, of, of uh, that physical form. And uh, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's something that's very interesting to me. Mm. And I wanted to kind of pick up on this with the relationship between uh, Tasia and everyone around her and but especially kind of Colin. What do you think it what do you think she's trying to what do you think it's saying about our relationship with technology, the way that we're communicating with people through screens and um, through a distance or even, you know, in the in the narrative of possessor of being forced into someone else's psyche and body through through tech? There are a few there are a few different things. I mean, part of uh, the relationship with technology in the film is kind of a surveillance analogy. I mean, it, it, for the zoo through stuff, it's, it's obviously kind of a joke and it's, it's more on the nose satire. Um, but I was writing this partly uh, through when the Snowden leaks were happening and I was feeling very depressed about the death of privacy through technology. And uh, so to some extent that body possession stands in as, as a metaphor for surveillance because instead of someone turning on your webcam or turning on your microphone, they're actually in your body experiencing the most intimate details of your life firsthand uh, through your own nerve endings or uh, just as terrifyingly are in someone else's body who's close to you and are acting as a kind of you know, full, full body organic sensory surveillance device. Um, that's part of it. I, I think something that's become maybe more relevant from a, from a tech perspective since I wrote the film uh, is how people are being influenced by social media. I think we're, you know, only just starting to understand the repercussions of being in, in a kind of fully online society and with, say, Russian interference in the U.S. elections and the various ways that people are being manipulated through data collection, AI, you know, sometimes for very mundane reasons, just to sell them the right things or, or, or you know, for these commercial reasons. Um, I think we're finding that we are all fairly hackable. We're all very mm -hmm. vulnerable to extremely subtle influence, uh, but deliberate influence. And I think a major challenge going forward will be what is human society after that? You know, I, I think we're in a, a kind of transitional era where we're starting to understand what we will be in the coming decades and, and what the challenges there are, but we don't mm. really see it yet. It's, it's only just the tip of the iceberg. To start wrapping up, I kind of wanted to ask you, what would you like people to take away from the film? Uh, I, I prefer not to, <laughs> to answer that question if it's okay. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, the film is really designed to leave space for an audience to be creative. You know, I had my own specific ideas as I was mm -hmm. writing it uh, about what the narrative was and how the characters were evolving throughout it and the, the reasoning behind their actions and all. But in terms of the execution, I really wanted to allow for discussion and disagreement. You know, I would like nothing more than for people to completely disagree about <laughs> what, what they should take away from the film. So I don't want to preclude <laughs> the possibility of, of those discussions happening by telling people uh, what, what they should think. That's a great answer. But um, I, I do have a slightly silly question that I would love to end on, if you don't mind. Certainly. Can you please 
tell me why everyone vapes so much in the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was partly, you know, <laughs> I, I was coming up with ways to make this an alternate universe, and I thought it would be funny if everybody vaped. It was, it was sort of a dumb joke, although. I think vaping is really cinematic. I think it's absolutely ludicrous how much vapor comes out of somebody's mouth when they're vaping. I think that's that's a pretty striking image. So they, they, they have started there and then become kind of silly. They also have uh, stickers all over their vapes, and I was thinking of like <laughs> Japanese, uh, like Japanese pain bags. Or mm -hmm. Anime fans have those those bags, and it was. Uh, where they're covered in buttons and, and all of these things. So I thought, okay, maybe in this alternate universe, uh, everybody has animal stickers or something on their babes. Uh, it to that totally didn't come through, but it, <laughs> but it was just sort of uh, alternate, alternate universe games. Oh, I love it. That's that's so uh, that makes it even even funnier. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for your time and um, best of luck with the film. I'm sure you will need it because it's it's quite amazing and it's quite something. I can't wait for everyone to see it and have those conversations and those arguments. That's incredibly kind of you. Thank you so much for having me. You have a very special nature. One we've worked hard together to unlock. Results are normal. Anything you want to flag? No. No, I'm fine. Mom! Hi, darling. How was your trip? Dull. Extraordinarily dull. Our next contract's a big one. The target is the CEO of the largest operation in the U.S. You'll be binding to Colin Tate. We can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready? What's with you today? What do you mean? I'm in place. Can I help you? Finish this. What are you doing? I can't pull the trigger. I need to know. I need to know what she's done to me. It's become a danger. Where is she? Come out or I'll do it! Sometimes, that small thought is all it takes to lose control. control.